Should Christians celebrate the death of Osama bin Laden? It's the cross-culture Q&A question. Pastor Clay's answer right after this week's Crosswalk. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. You and I should make disciples, not just fill up the church house, invite people to church. That's a step. Not just see people make a commitment to trust Christ as their Savior. That's important. But to make fully devoted followers of Christ, to make disciples. In his letter to the church at Philippi, the Apostle Paul spoke these words, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. In other words, Paul was trying to duplicate his walk with Christ in the lives of others. So what about us? Should we be duplicating ourselves? You and I are called to, charged, commanded to duplicate ourselves if we are followers of Christ. It might be kind of scary to think, oh, last thing anybody needs is another one of me. (laughs) To duplicate ourselves as followers of Christ. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Today we come to the last dimension of our 3D series on discipleship, and it's the dimension of duplication. As Pastor Clay is going to show us today, making disciples is the call of all of us who follow Christ. As we'll see from the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, it's more than trying to win converts. It's about trying to make fully devoted followers of Jesus. Now here's Pastor Clay with this week's Crosswalk. Thirteen weeks ago, uh, we began this series entitled Cross-Culture in 3D. So real you can touch it. The idea being that uh, as followers of Christ, those of us who claim to be followers of Christ, and that may not be everyone in this room. Some of you may be here still exploring this whole thing, or maybe for the first time exploring this whole Jesus thing. That's okay. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being open to... uh, to investigating the claims of Christ and whether this is real or whether we're all just a bunch of lunatics or not. But for those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, uh, our faith has to be manifested in our lives. Our faith has to come alive. Our ha- faith has to be so real that people can touch it, that they can look at our lives and they say, wow, uh, there's something different about Will and Jenna and the way they're handling this unbelievable adversity in their lives. How do they have such peace? How are they so at ease in the midst of all of this? Or you in your workplace or in a, in a family situation or a, a physical issue or a financial issue or whatever it is, your faith becomes more than something that's just uh, that you pull out down at the church house on Sunday morning, that it actually is a part of your life and, it, and it's manifested in such a way that people can see it and they can say, I see that, I get that, there's something about that. I don't know if I agree with them or not, I'm not sure about all this Jesus stuff, but, but I can see that there's a difference in their lives. That's what this is meant. So real that you can touch it. And so we have been investigating these three D's or dimensions of a fully devoted follower of Jesus. We began with the dimension of desire. Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. 
being conformed to his death. There was, there was within the life of the Apostle Paul, when he came to faith in Christ, there was this unbelievable desire. There was this incredible passion for the things of God. And he said, I, I want to know him. I want to know every aspect of what it means to be a follower of Christ, even to the point of suffering for his namesake, that if that will draw me closer or help me to know him or experience him in a more real way. Desire. And you and I need that desire in our lives. And I have asked you in the week that we looked at this and and in the week since then on, on a few occasions, I have asked you to examine your own life, for me to examine my own life and to ask ourselves the hard questions. The questions like, do I have that kind of desire in my life for God? Or is this just something I just kind of put on or it looks good on my Facebook homepage or, or you know, I go down to the church and it's nice and we sing the songs and is that it? Or do I really desire the things of God? Do I desire God? And as I've said to you before and I say again, if you struggle in that area and, and perhaps all of us do at different times, our faith may come and go and we may have some struggles in that area. If you struggle in that area, if you examine your own life and you say, I well, I just don't know that the desire is really there in my life. Then listen, get honest with yourself about it and talk to God about it. Ask God for that desire. I think it's last week I said, I triple dog dare you to ask God for the desire for him. I encourage you, not that one message is, is an answer, but I encourage you, go back and listen to that message online. I encourage you, come to me or, 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 or some life group leader or one of the elders of the church, come to us and say, hey, I'm struggling with desire in my life. What do I need to do to really desire the things of God? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. It's not just a story on a page. I'm living in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The second dimension that we have discussed and quite frankly have spent the most time on is the dimension of discipline. Whether it is a professional or accomplished musician, an accomplished athlete, an accomplished student, or anything else, everyone knows that those persons have to build certain disciplines in their life if they're going to ever achieve a certain level of proficiency in whatever it is they're doing. Everybody knows that. Everybody can admire the Olympic swimmer or the, or the all-pro wide receiver or the uh, PGA professional, whatever. everybody can admire that person because part of what it is is not only seeing them make the unbelievable shot, but it's knowing what they put in to get to that point in their life, discipline. Several people have been credited with uh, this saying, but uh, Gary Player, who is a very famous uh, professional golfer, now um, up in years, Gary Player claims that uh, he was in Texas uh, practicing bunker shots one day prior to a tournament starting. This was in the 1960s, I believe. And there was a, uh, a wealthy Texas rancher uh, standing there watching him practice. And he hit a bunker shot and uh, the ball came out of the bunker. Those of you that are, are uh, golfing challenged, that's, that's a sand trap that's usually around the, the green. Uh, he, he hit a shot out of the bunker, the ball came out and rolled up towards the pin and went in, went in the hole. And the Texas rancher supposedly uh, say, said, I'll give you a $50 bill if you can do that again. So Gary Player set another ball down, hit the ball, ball came out on the green, rolled down, went in the hole. 
The Texas rancher said, I'll give you a $100 bill if you can do that again. The gay player put another ball down, hit, hit the ball, came out of the bunker, hit on the green, rolled down, went in the hole. You sure are a lucky golfer, the Texas rancher said as he peeled off the bills to pay Gary Player. Gary Player supposedly said, yeah, it's a funny thing about luck. I find that the more I practice, the luckier I am. Gary Player understands what every PGA professional understands that every person of any level of proficiency in anything understands that discipline must be built into my life to reach those levels. The exact same thing is true in our spiritual lives. We must build in these disciplines if we're ever going to reach any level of proficiency in our walk with Christ. We look at six disciplines. They look like this. Prayer, fasting, the Word or study, Serving, giving, and going. Uh, There may be other disciplines that could help us in our walk with Christ, but I focused on those six disciplines which, in my opinion, are biblical and are essential to a vibrant, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. we got to have discipline. Today, we come to the final D, the final dimension of a 3D follower of Christ, although we'll take a couple of weeks to look at this. And it is the dimension of duplication. Duplication is a big deal, or it should be a big deal to the church, the body of Christ. You and I are called to, charged, commanded to duplicate ourselves if we are followers of Christ. To, to, it might be kind of scary to think, oh, the last thing anybody needs is another one of me. But to duplicate ourselves as followers of Christ. And the Bible says it in a, in, in a lot of different places and in a lot of different ways. But probably the most famous of those is found in Matthew chapter 28. Verses 18 through 20. Where we find these words. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There is this charge to duplicate ourselves. Nothing should thrill us more than to see people become followers of Christ and see them grow up in that understanding of that, to see them, to see the process duplicated again and to see them begin perhaps even to grow beyond whatever status we may be at this point in our walk with Christ, whatever station where we may be in it, to see them perhaps accelerate even past us and and grab a hold of the things of God and grab a hold of the principles of God. Uh, Nothing should thrill us more than to see people coming to Christ and growing in that relationship with Him. That's why, a couple things I'm going to remind you of very quickly this morning, that's why you and I should always make sure that we should be proactive when it comes to duplicating fully devoted followers of Jesus. We have to be proactive about this thing. We have to go after this thing. Let me read verse 19 to you again. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, the word that's translated go there in the English text uh, is not actually a command in the, in the original Greek text. It's actually a present participle. Going is the idea. Even though go reads like a command, it's not actually a command. In other words, Jesus knows that we will go. He assumes that we will go. He knows we'll go out into our lives. He knows we'll interact with other people. And as we go, watch this. Now here comes the imperative. Here it is. Make disciples. There's the imperative verb. Jesus simply assumes since we are his followers, certainly we will go where he asks us to go. Certainly we will interact with the people that we will interact with. And the command is to make a disciple of all nations. The word all nations there is ethne, ethnic groups. In other words, all peoples everywhere. You and I should make disciples. Not just, not just fill up the, the church house, invite people to church. That's, that's a step. Not just see people make a commitment to trust Christ as their Savior. That's important. But to make fully devoted followers of Christ, to make disciples. At the end of World War II, uh, 1945, um, there was obviously a, a real feeling of euphoria that was just all over America. Servicemen were coming back from the war. Uh, more and more women, wives were entering uh, the workforce and had started to during the war, working in factories and that sort of thing. They, they more and more were entering the workforce and, and families uh, were suddenly finding for the first time two incomes in their household, which most of them hadn't experienced before as, as a culture in America. And so as a result, uh, they, found, they, they had more... Uh, dollars to spend, perhaps, on material things than they had had in the past. As a result of that, neighborhoods began to spring up all over America as tens of thousands of American families began to purchase a home for the very first time. And in those neighborhoods of those thousands of homes and those tens of thousands of of families buying those homes, in, in those neighborhoods scattered all over America, churches began to spring up as well. And basically, historically, as I understand it, although it wasn't quite this simplistic, but basically when a church just would get built and all they had to do was open their doors and the people would come in, it was just, a, it was just part of the patriotism of America to be, to be Christian and to, and to go to church. And so the churches would, would come in. But a byproduct of that is what I would consider a theological distortion developed, something that is sometimes referred to as easy believism. The idea was just get, them, just get them in the doors, just get them to pray this prayer saying they believe in Jesus. And suddenly church membership roles began to fill up with the names of men and women who didn't really have a clue of what it meant to call yourself a follower of Christ. That's why not only do we have to be proactive about this, we've got to be productive about this as well. We have to make sure that that we're making more than converts, if that's even possible. We're making disciples. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. 
And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Listen, nothing wrong with filling up the church house. I, some of you know that I, that, I, that I talk a lot about inviting people. You know that I've, I've talked a lot about uh, filling up this auditorium. Nobody wants to see this auditorium filled up and, and the gymnasium filled up with children more than I do. But listen, if that's what it's about, then you and I have missed our call. We've missed what this thing is actually all about. Not that there's anything wrong with numbers. I'm, I've always believed in the old adage that if you aim at nothing, you'll surely hit it. So we, we, we do set goals. We do, we do set goals and try and reach those aspirations of, of drawing people in. And nobody was more excited than I was to see 500 people here on Easter Sunday. But listen to me, the heart of cross-culture church is not to bring in numbers, it's to make disciples. Notice what it says. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism, that is, in essence, your declaration of your faith. And then... All that I commanded you, obedience to all that I commanded you, that's the demonstration of your faith. Declaring He is my Savior through the waters of baptism, yes. But then demonstrating that that faith is real by observing all that I commanded you to do. It's obedience. Listen to me. Following Christ means obedience to His commands, His desires, His will. For our life. Let me just leave you with a few verses just to contemplate as we go this morning in Romans uh, chapter 13. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord. Instead of the worldliness and where you used to be, instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge in your evil desires. In Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live. You understand? This is much deeper than, than. Just saying, I believe in Jesus. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit dwelling in me, produces love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It lives out. It comes out. People can see it. It's real. Because it's more than just saying, I believe in Jesus. And then the, the theme verse for cross-culture, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, my follower, must deny themselves, and take up their cross daily, and follow me. To produce followers that understand what it means to say, I'm a follower of Christ. To produce a life that produces the fruit of the Spirit that brings glory to God to produce, to be productive. You and I can't, it's not just about the people getting them in the doors. It's about making disciples. That's real duplication. Proactive and productive. Those two words tell us a lot about our calling to make disciples. As Pastor Clay explained in today's message, we can't sit back and hope people will come to us. We have to go after them. But as we've also learned, it's about more than just winning converts. We've got to help people understand that coming to Christ means following after Him in total obedience. Of course, that doesn't mean that any of us are perfect, but it does mean that we're striving to make Christ the key to our entire 
entire lives, and we're helping others to do the same. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Now this week's Cross Culture Q&A. Pretty much every week we answer a question that someone submits. I had a question this week that actually came in this week. Um, to, uh, it came in by email. and I felt like it was a, obviously a relevant and a significant question to try and deal with this morning. question looks like this. Uh, what does the Bible say about should Christians celebrate the death of Osama bin Laden? Uh, last Sunday night, uh, if you were still awake... Um, you heard the news that the president came on and announced that uh, uh, the military forces had done a raid on his camp and, and he had been killed. And so the question has been, you know, and, and the spontaneous celebration broke out all over America when this uh, happened. And so uh, the question has been raised, should Christians celebrate or be happy about the death of Osama bin Laden? So I want to kind of deal with that question uh, for a few moments here this morning. Of course, it goes without saying that Osama bin Laden um, has inflicted untold grief and heartache on uh, this nation and on the world in general. Thousands, if not tens of thousands, uh, were killed as a result of uh, his actions. Uh, For many Americans, he was evil personified. We know that we can and should Celebrate the fact that justice has reigned, that justice has been served. Justice is a big deal to our God, and so it should be to us. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, we find this. Justice and only justice you shall pursue, that you may live and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Deuteronomy chapter 27. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice From the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Then all the people shall say, Amen. And in Psalm chapter 9 and verse 16. The Lord is known by his acts of justice. The wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. Last Sunday night, justice was served. Osama bin Laden deserved what he got. As uh, military forces uh, carried out... 
um, what was necessary to keep him from con- his continued acts of terrorism on the world. We can celebrate the fact that justice has been done and never again shall uh, this man rain terror down on the world. But still we're left with this question that should we actually celebrate or be happy about the fact that he is dead? Certainly some people will disagree with me on this, but I believe that the answer is no. We should not celebrate the fact that he is dead. Now that does not negate justice, okay? But I do not believe as followers of Christ that we should celebrate the fact that a man is dead and will spend eternity in a real place called hell. And I don't think we should celebrate it for the sheer fact that I do not believe that God celebrated the death of Osama bin Laden. In Ezekiel chapter 33, we find this passage of Scripture. Say to them, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? In the context of Ezekiel 33, God is dealing with with the nation of Israel that had turned their backs on God. But it reveals to us the heart of God. And that is that he has no desire. He takes no pleasure in those who rebel against him. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so, in my opinion, neither should we. Now, it's easy to look at his life and to say, yeah, but he got exactly what he deserved. Yes, he did. And he's getting exactly what he deserves. Yes, he is. But we are, what we are sometimes slow to remember is that you and I deserve the same thing. You and I deserve the same fate because the Bible says that all of us have sinned. All of us have broken God's law. All of us are unrighteous. But you see, in our case, for those of us who are followers of Christ, justice met grace at the cross. As Christ's sacrifice made it possible for us to be redeemed and to be pardoned from our sins. Which then leads me to the last point I want to make. And it's the one that, quite honestly, I don't like to make. And that most of us don't want to talk about. And that is this. How much of the responsibility for Osama bin Laden and the thousands like him. How much of the responsibility for that lies at the very front door of the church because as Osama bin Laden grew up as a little boy in in whatever village or street of whatever city did someone go from the church the body of Christ did someone go to that part of the world and share the message of Jesus I don't know but I doubt it if they had would it have made a difference I don't know Listen, I'm not saying that Osama bin Laden is not responsible for his actions. He is completely responsible. And justice has been served. All I'm saying is, is that rather than celebrating the fact that, that a man will spend eternity in hell, perhaps we would be better served to contemplate what you and I can do to make sure that the next generation of Osama bin Ladens hear the message of Jesus.